Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony Whitaker here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a bit different to how I usually do things because it's going to be part one of a journey. And I don't even know how many parts there are going to be to this journey at this point in time. But essentially, it's the journey of opening a salon. Now, my guest on today's episode is Australian hairdresser Daniel DiOrio, and he's been in business for 11 years now, but he has made a decision to relocate and open a new salon from scratch. And what I decided to do is follow him on that journey and find out what works and what doesn't work and all the challenges and frustrations and excitement that goes with the journey of opening a business. So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss budgets. We're going to talk about interior design. We're going to talk about rebranding. We're going to talk about staffing and recruitment and so much more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. It's really good to have this opportunity to uh, to have you on the podcast, Daniel. Uh, as I was saying before we started recording, um, this is going to be a very interesting journey because it's not something that I've done before where I've had a, a guest on, you know, for repeat episodes to talk about how their journey is evolving. And I think that that what you're doing, uh, or what you've volunteered to do with me, which is to talk about the journey of expansion and opening a second business and all the challenges and stuff along the way will be a very interesting story for a lot of people. So the, the purpose of today's episode is really to um, – you know, to sort of set the scene thus far uh, and and talk about some of the, you know, the hurdles and challenges that, that you've faced and how you've addressed them. Uh, and then we'll touch base again and, you know, another sort of six weeks or so to see, you know, how much further on you are with the journey of uh, opening another salon. So, uh, Daniel, before we get into this, uh, let's just start off with an overview. Who is Daniel DiOrio? Give us your sort of two-minute backstory. Yes, thank you, Anthony. Uh, looking forward to sharing this journey with you all. Um, I'm Daniel DiOrio. I am the current owner of Dior 10 Salon, uh, which, as Anthony explained, is about to have a bit of an overhaul, which will be called DiOrio very soon. Uh, I've been in business for 11 years and I've been a hairdresser for about 16 or 17, but I try not to count as I get older. Uh, I currently have five staff under my wing and the sixth person is my wife who was employee and turned fiance, turned wife, turned uh, secret business partner. So we have a wonderful, beautiful local salon in a suburb called Bosley Park in Sydney's West. And uh, yeah, we've been in business, like I said, in that location for eight years. And previous to that, I was renting a chair for three years and sort of built up to where I am today. Okay, fantastic. Uh, so 11 years in the current location? or, or- So current location as a business owner has been eight, but I rented a chair there for a year before I took it over. 
And then okay. the previous two years to that, I was renting a chair in another location. Right. Okay. I didn't know that, that you'd yeah, worked yeah. in the business that you now own for the for three yeah. years before you well, then bought it off the owner. A story that would make a good movie one day was actually when I decided that maybe hairdressing was for me. I actually did work experience in that location for a week. And then when I applied for apprenticeships, I never got an apprenticeship there. And okay. then uh, fast forward however many years and I ended up buying the business off that owner. So funny how things work out. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, yeah. so you're 11 years in, in yep. this current this current location, and now you have decided that the time is right to open a, another salon. Well, actually, that's not strictly true, is it? I mean, you and I have been talking about you opening a, another salon for a while, and this isn't yep. another salon. This is relocation. It's not like a second yep. salon, is it? That I am correct no. in saying that, aren't I? Yeah? That's right. Relocation. Okay. That's correct. So, yep. so... So that that leads to the question of um, uh, why are you doing that? Like, like, why are you not hanging on to the business you've got and opening a second location? Like, why are you deciding to, to completely relocate and open a brand new business? Is there any, any thought behind that? Yeah. Um, I suppose I'd be very good at answering this question because almost everybody ask you this question. Why are you choosing to move? Um, I suppose I'd have to wind the clock back from when I first moved into my location. I was young. I was eager. I was full of enthusiasm. And I signed a lease in a location that was far too expensive, weighing over my head, needed to be renovated. But it didn't matter what anybody told me, I was going to make it work. Um, And I started with a business partner, ended up buying her out, kept grinding, kept grinding, but always felt inside my stomach that maybe everybody was right. Maybe I shouldn't have taken on this uphill battle. Um, Fast forward, I sort of grew very distant with my landlord. Our relationship was very landlord-esque. I paid him rent on time. He gave me four walls and a roof and I worked in there and I feel like me as a young business owner felt that more could have been done with that relationship. I felt like, you know, I'm in business with him as much as people are in business coming to my salon, I suppose. So I felt as though, A, I wasn't getting enough bang for my buck in terms of everything around the centre could be providing for us. Uh, And B, I felt like he just didn't really care and quite possibly in a very modest way that maybe I was just too good to be where I was. Uh, Then COVID hit. Um, and that's when the distance really started to separate. He, uh, had opportunities to help people, which could have seen all of the businesses there for the foreseeable future and and however long. Um, and, and instead he sort of stuck to the bare minimum, hid behind his managing agent. And that really upset me because we had lives on the line. We had people to feed and keep employed and so on and so forth. And it was about then where I said to, uh, Laura, my wife, I just said, look, let's keep an eye open. And let's see what pops up. We're nearing the end of our lease agreement. Let's see what happens. And um, it turns out that here in Australia, COVID was very helpful for a lot of people and not as many commercial properties made themselves available. So we decided, okay, let's try and put all of that negative energy to the side and let's try and rebuild inside our four walls. So less than two years ago, literally, we spent, uh, I don't know, 50 plus 
thousand dollars on a salon renovation, and we did like a minor rebrands. Uh, we spent another twenty odd thousand on a website, changed our marketing approach, and said, "Yeah, let's breathe new life into us." And this actually fell perfectly in time with the second lockdown of COVID. So we started renovating and we had five months or four months to do this full renovation. We rebuilt systems, processes, and we're going to breathe new life into ourselves. And we did for three and a half months. We did. We were like this unbelievable team. We had this beautiful salon. No one had seen it and, and, and come in and enjoyed it and the new experience and so on and so forth. And then we just found that the stagnant feeling was coming back. And that's when we started to realize we're missing something here. Uh, and then was when our negative hill started to come. So I'd been in business for eight years and never really had any other challenges other than the usual. Uh, and then I started to get resignations uh, because people's perspective had changed on life. Uh, I had my first staff member do the runner, take the clients and block us on social media. So we dealt with that hurdle. And then I went away for a L'Oreal business conference and heard all of these amazing guest speakers tell us about trends and young attitude and so on and so forth. And I came back home and not even within a week, I had my youngest asset at the time, literally word for word, like she was at the presentation at L'Oreal, tell me the reasons for her resignation and moving on. And I just, I lost it. I lost it. I, I, I couldn't compose myself and I just without swearing here on this video, I just said, we need to find something. Let's join the movement momentarily. Let's find something small and let's be small until it's time to go big again, because it was clear that everything was changing society wise. It was clear that everything was changing hairdressing wise. Uh, and that's when we stumbled across a bigger project, ironically enough. And um, yeah, we so just you, entered. So, some, yeah. so you, wanted, you wanted to go small I wanted to go small. Downsize and you've ended up going bigger. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I wanted to go small because, I mean, upon reflection, small seemed to be the easy option uh, when there wasn't much positive happening around me. Yeah, okay. And so you fell in love with the location. Yeah, I think um, I I fell in love with the opportunity that the location was going to bring us. I think – We've, we've admired these types of locations from a distance before um, and thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool? And every time we visit a type of location like this, we always look at the quality of the hairdresser in there or the quality of the barber in there or the quality of even the beautician in our industry. And I just think, how do these beautiful places end up with a business like that? And I suppose we're going to discover a couple of those discussions because it's it's a particular model, it's a, t- a particular business owner, it's a particular style of business that ends up in these locations and they survive. They survive for so long because the location, the foot traffic, the research that these landlords have done in these places are phenomenal. And when we inquired for this place, I genuinely said to Laura, I'm like, just inquire because we'll get an indication of what they're going to be charging for rent. And more than likely, it's already full. And uh, that's when it flipped on its head and they rang us within 24 hours and did not let us go from that moment. So so, um, so, so is, it a, is it a mall or a shopping centre or like, like what exactly yeah. is this location? Yeah, so I suppose for the Australian listeners, they'll definitely know of um, a major business called Woolworths. So it's a shopping village owned by Woolworths. So the main cornerstone of the business is Woolworths, so it'll be a. It's being built as we speak, so it's still not finished. But it's literally a one-stop village. Uh, Woolworths is the main attraction. There's 20 stores surrounding it, plus a medical center and a gym. So right. essentially, 
this location we are moving to has been one of the fastest growing suburbs that you could ever imagine. And upon reflection and opening negotiations with these people, it was pretty clear that our opportunity to move there, despite what the foot traffic and Woolworths could bring based on their research, it was also being surrounded by a demographic that suited us, being surrounded by young families and younger, just a younger demographic who we can grow with and be that cornerstone hairdresser in in a growing suburb. Right. Okay. So it was all about the opportunity of, well, it's a, it's a mixture of being disillusioned with where you were and the support yeah. that you were getting from the center that you're in and, and what that contributed to growth and an opportunity yeah. to be in a new environment with a whole lot of new businesses in an up and coming area that, sh- that presented a potential for a lot more growth. Would, would that sort yeah, of sum that up? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Upon learning that, it was still extremely important for us to remain grounded and reminded that the business in the current premises we were has served a wonderful purpose for eight, nearly nine years now. And Mm. the business still has the potential to continue well there. So we didn't want to, we didn't want to begin negotiations with the new landlord without thinking, we, we just had to be aware that we didn't want to lose what we had unless we knew what we were going to gain was going to outweigh that. And I suppose if COVID didn't come around and our industry wasn't going through a version of a challenge, we could have possibly expanded into two, Mm -hmm. but it's just not the economy and it's just not the time to make that. So once we started this negotiation, we remained grounded to say Bosley Park is our home. However, let's negotiate with these people and let's see what we can gain out of these negotiations to see, are we actually going to do that? Because I think it's, it's extremely easy to say all the things you hate. And then when you have an opportunity on your plate, the first thing you ask yourself is, like, well, well, big boy, you talk a big game, but are you actually going to do it now? Okay. So um, how far apart are they, the existing salon to the new location? Uh, exactly. They'd be between, I think it's about 18 kilometers apart. Okay. So... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guess and say that's about ten or eleven miles uh, for yeah. our, our non uh, for our English listeners and American listeners. I think they will t- still talk in miles. Okay, so that's a long way. Yeah, that's a long way. So are you worried about that? That like you're you're essentially closing one business and opening up another, uh, eighteen kilometers or ten or eleven miles, whatever it is, uh, away, and you're obviously hoping that your existing clients come with you. Um, like, has how's how's that played on your mind making that decision? Because it's a big step. It's not a mile or two. A couple of miles, no. they're all going to come. You know, yeah. ten miles. Yeah. That's you know, that's a big yeah. that's a big ask. I think at first, Laura and I, we had these discussions before we involved the support of our parents. We're still young. I'm 33. Laura's going to be 29 this year. We're still very young. You know, we, we have a little girl, we have a mortgage. So, you know, we're quite aware that these decisions are going to impact quite heavily. So when we had the discussion, we said, let's run the numbers as if 50% of people are going to follow us. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got a visitor here. Just ignore him. <laughs> hey, is that interesting? Everybody wants to hear um, So we look, we ran the number based on 50% of clients following us. And based on that, we also 
tried to map out what we think the potential of who we could welcome into our business as well. And I suppose there's an element of at any one time, there's probably give or take 10 to 15% of people who have already left your salon mentally, but physically haven't found the right reason to do so. And we learned that through COVID, right? Because we lost all these regulars. We're like, where'd you go? And we met all these new people and they're like, yeah, good time for a change. So we sort of embraced that. But then we also sort of understood that some people might already be traveling from there. Some people might be traveling 17 kilometers from the other side. It was just too many different algorithms. So in the end, we said, let's say we lose 50% of our business and Mm. we're going to knuckle down and we're prepared to work six days a week for however long to get it back to where it is. Then we began to weigh up the benefits of the actual location. So once we started to look at those numbers, we were still confident in our ability, provided that the negotiations were going to go in our favor, that we could make it work. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a few questions around. Did you get a, a rent-free period at all with, with the new premises? Is there any sort of, you know, easing in of that to, to try and offset that transition? No. So essentially, um, we're negotiating with a with a big, 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 big company, right? So their contract was enough to make you question everything, really, because once you start reading, I mean, you pay your solicitor to read it, right? And he reads it to you and you start weighing things up. You're like, okay, there was not a rent-free period. I reckon there's nearly $15,000 worth of onboarding costs alone. Mm-hmm. You've got to pay a tenancy coordinator. You've got to pay an opening fee. You've got to pay this. You've got to pay that. So if anything, it's quite the opposite. In saying that, there are some extremely strict guidelines uh, in terms of the fit out and in terms of conducting your fit out in a certain period. And should you be able to do that successfully, you will receive quite a hefty and helpful uh, lump sum upfront, inclusive of them paying the GST of that for you as well. So provided that we meet the expectations of the fit out guide and provided we are open on day one fully stocked, they will contribute um, quite a substantial amount of money back towards your fit out or your onboarding or whatever okay. you need. Okay, good, good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, so what was I going to say there? Gosh, there's so many different areas this conversation can go off in. Um, are you are you selling your existing location as a salon, or like like how are you approaching that? Because you and your team are moving, you know, ten miles away. Um, so some of your people aren't going to go with you. Some of your clients aren't going to go with you, and maybe some of yeah. your staff won't go with yeah. you. Um, yeah. uh, I know you said you were nearing the end of the lease. Uh, on your current location. Um, Have you seen that as an opportunity? And you also said that you'd spent, I think you said 50 grand on a, on a, on a refit uh, 12 months ago. So, um, you know, when you think of the, the electrics, the plumbing, the wash basins, all that sort of stuff, um, what, what have been your thoughts about how you can try and offset some of the investment in the new space by selling the existing space potentially as a salon? I mean, I'm thinking back to, you said to me before that you started there as a stylist and you ended up buying it with someone else as a partner. Has there been any consideration for things like that? Or is that the last thing you want to have one of your existing staff to take it over? Yeah, look, I'm... Uh, I'd like to think that I, I don't really feel threatened by any sort of anyone else coming in, I suppose, to take the place or anyone who's been a part of it for that matter. I think for us, the most expensive thing that we could have done 
was hope that someone was going to come in and hope that someone was going to buy it and hope that someone was going to take over our lease and so on and so forth. In terms of how the new lease has come about, our lease is supposed to finish in June with my new centre is supposed to open in May. So as we as it stands, we have advertised the fit out as an opportunity. Essentially, I'm looking for me 11 years ago, a guy yeah. who came in and was renting a chair and thought I was way too big for a chair, thought I was going to build 10 mini-me's and I'm going to take over the whole world right here, come in, just get out, I'll paint the walls, give me the basins, I'll start making money tomorrow. Hmm. You know, you, you you would think that that person exists a little bit more considering the circumstance of a lot more rent-a-chair people or people working at home, maybe people looking to expand. It doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. In saying that, though, you know, the investment that we put into our fit-out and our website is the main reason we turn the head of our new landlord, and that investment has already paid off as far as I'm concerned. So if it does get to June and nobody has come up and said, I'll buy your fit-out off you for $10 and, you know, let me let me take over – you know, I'll sell all the stuff individually because none of that's coming to the new salon. I'll return it to zero. I'll lock the key and 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 move forward into the next chapter, knowing that that's just what it's meant to be for me. So, right, okay, okay. Have you had offers? You have people who are interested. Look, I, look, I have, I have had a couple of people. I've got it online with the broker, so the broker does his job as best as possible. Uh, I have had a couple of people that I speak to, you know, within the community or at the gym and whatnot. But you know. We're still in a tough economic time as well, mm. and the opportunity is there, but I think people shy away from it when they find out that the team is following, and I think today it takes a lot more than 17 kilometres for you to find a new hairdresser, maybe. So they would be feeling that as well. So if it's somebody from the outside looking to come in as an investment and just get some people to run the business – they need to still find a team. And if it's somebody who's renting a chair in a garage or, or, or whatever it may be, we still haven't found that person to come in and see the value in, in taking over that. So, yeah, like I said, the, the investment of the fit out and everything that we did was the reason why we were able to turn the head of the agency in charge of trying to fill the location. So as far as we're concerned, it's paid itself off. And, you know, if push comes to shove, I get to the end of it and we can't get rid of it. I think those salon mirrors would look beautiful in my daughter's bedroom. And that's what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I should mention you said Woolworths with a landlord. Uh, Woolworths is a global brand name. Everyone will know it. However, Woolworths, Woolworths Australia is a very separate entity to Woolworths in the UK, which went bankrupt. And I don't even know if Woolworths in the United States exists anymore either. Uh, but that is where, uh, you know, the brand name originally started. Um, and their, their presence in the Australian you know, retail market is significant. Um, it, it's not like the the Woolworths of old for our um, listeners. Um, okay, so tell me about this this new salon location. I know that you're very well connected and lucky in terms of family contacts, etc. For you know, design and fit outs and all that sort of stuff, which certainly helps. But with this new location, so it's a new build, the centre, uh, which is great. So, you know, in terms of, I don't know, internet and plumbing and electrics and everything, it, it's all going to be up to code. It's going to be state-of-the-art stuff ready for you to move into. Uh, what sort of budget have you set aside for a, a salon fit-out, you know, just ballpark? 
Um, the budget and what it's going to be are two very different numbers, it seems. <laughs> um, but you can you can expect that. I've never hired an interior designer before, but you know they've got expensive, beautiful tastes. And when you see expensive, beautiful stuff, you do fall in love with it. We are quite modest in our approach. However, I don't feel like having a $500,000 salon is the reason why people come to visit you. Um, We did budget about 150 and keeping in mind that my brother is actually a shop fitter. So not that he does anything for free, but we do have less of a margin to deal with there. Uh, at, at this point, we haven't finished getting all of our quotes in. The builder is finalizing that this week, but it does look like it's going to be about 200 plus. Um, that is before we have decided to cut anything back, before we have confirmed finances available and so on and so forth. But, you know, I think once you see something come together and it's practical and it's beautiful, and you know that you can bring a team ethic and culture and an experience into that location, knowing that we've signed away one deal to bring in a new deal that would possibly cement our future. I don't think you need to go overboard to spend $400,000 because it's got that much emphasis, but I do think it's important to do it right because the worst thing that you could do is two years from now and think, man, I wish I put that zip tap in there so I could serve people soda water or I wish I put that bar fridge there for the little bees that we wanted to serve or whatever it may be. So we we built it based on absolutely everything, including a dishwasher because no staff member wants to wash up the coffee cups at the end of the day, right? And if we need to peg back in any area, they are some of the necessities or the little bits and pieces that you could go back to manual labor to manage and, and reduce your costs from there. Okay. Uh, now I'm at an advantage to our, our viewers or listeners in that I've seen the, uh, you know, the architectural drawings, etc., of the new salon design, and um, it looks fantastic. I mean, it, it, it doesn't look cheap, so it doesn't it, it doesn't at all surprise me when you say a couple of hundred grand. That's Australian dollars. So. Uh, what would that be in US dollars? Do you know off the top of your head? I'm going to suggest it's probably going to be about a uh, maybe 130. Uh, yeah, I was going to say something like that. 130 yeah. US dollars. So uh, great, great British pounds. It's probably about a hundred thousand pound fit out. Yeah. Um, so you know, significant amount of money. Um, now I, I don't want our um, our listeners to think I'm being insensitive. I've given you every opportunity to to get off the hook here uh, and to say, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want to talk about that. So I don't want people to think I'm being insensitive, but I just want to ask you about how you're financing it. Because I know finance is a, a, you know, a personal thing, but again, yeah. I think there's lots of lessons in there. So is it is it like personal savings? Is it bank loan? Is it family money? Is it other investors? How have you got that sort of money together? Because a couple of hundred grand is, you know, a significant amount of money. Yeah. Um, I suppose I should start by saying, allow me to finish the sentence. I really need to thank my parents, right? Because they pushed me at a young age to invest into property. And, you know, I sacrificed a lot at that point in my life. I was on a hairdresser's wage, paying a mortgage, bought a business in the same year, probably couldn't pay myself a wage for however long, but I managed to buy a house at the right time, 
before a particular boom. I sold it at the right time and bought my house that I currently live in now at the right time. And as a result, equity has been quite favorable. In saying that, given the current circumstances as business has unfolded thanks to the last couple of years, not every bank is really going to turn their head because if your statements aren't where they need to be and your taxes haven't been sufficient enough, you're right to come up with $200,000. It's not essentially easy. So before we started to explore our options, we we had to sort of seek a version of security, um, maybe support through our parents. Uh, and once they never really said, yeah, whatever you need, but they did sort of say, there's no issues, just go for it. And it's better if you can do it yourself. Uh, and sort of in the last week and a half, I've been working with a client of mine who is actually in financial strategy and uh, helping you achieve your goals. Uh, and the bottom line is you just got to put your house up and you got to go for it. And, you know, my response to that was every day I go to work and my house is on the line because we need to make those covers. So if we have an opportunity to use our equity, and we have an opportunity to create a tax dividend and a, and, a, and a tax deduction from our business by extending that into a loan, we knew that we were going to need to do that. And we can get that loan and we can work that off. And at the end of the day, you know what my dad says to me? He goes, you got two options when you expand. You either expand, you make a lot of money and you pay tax on it, or you expand, you get a loan and you pay interest on your next asset. And when he said it to me, I said it to my wife, it made it made complete sense to me. And I said, this is it. This is an opportunity to expand. And I don't need to increase my wage to expand. I need to buy an asset and I need to expand into a direction that I can see it being infinite from there. And I'm going to pay interest on the loan and build that credibility because I'll be on time. And I won't be on time because I owe the money. I'm on time because it's our livelihoods. Uh, We're both in the same business. I've got a little girl at home. We're hoping to expand our family. And, you know, that's our responsibility. We go to work, we, we pay ourselves off, we pave a path for the future. And, you know, f- for me at the end of the day, I don't know, you always ask your parents about a story about when they were grinding and they were up into that, up to their eyeballs. And you look at them now and you think that's, that's that perseverance and that coverage and that leather skin that you build by doing these things. So we had no hesitation to do it. And thankfully we're able to do it. And, that, and that's where it comes from. I'd love to say I had 200 grand lying around, but it's, it's definitely not the case. Not today anyway, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, in terms of the size of the salon, how many chairs, how many positions will be there in the new one? I'm going I'm to have eight chairs and four basins, uh, okay. which is actually one less chair than what I've got in my salon at the moment. Um, but as much as that might sound like it's not really an opportunity to expand, I do have full intentions, provided that the salon team model makes a comeback in the next five years to be able to offer a lot more flexible working rosters for people. So having eight chairs and four basins, you could only ever have six or seven people working there plus a couple of assistants. It's totally fine to still expand your team. We just see our future in a position where we'd expand our hours and have rotating rosters and flexibility for people and still be able to hit the heights of 10, 12 or 15 staff and still be able to work at a margin that works well with eight chairs and four basins. Okay. In in a, uh, a complex like you're moving into, um, were you told the hours and the days that you have to be open? Um, because I know they, in a lot they, of malls, for example, they say you have to be open every day of the year except Christmas or whatever, and you've got to be open late nights until this time. Did you have any stipulations like that put on you? 
Yeah, they attempted to. And that was, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier about being firm in our negotiations. They wanted seven days a week. They wanted public holidays. They wanted, um, I mean, the core hours are the core hours. Uh, but when I was speaking with the managing agent in charge, you know, I just had a real good heart to heart with him. And I said, look, you've, you've come across us. We've applied. You've seen my Google reviews. You've seen our website. You've watched our experience video. You've rung me to tell me that I'm the business that they're looking for. You've showed me the contract to say that they're looking for assets and they look for ways to make passive income. It's not right for them to say to make passive income on us and tell us how to run our business. I said, if I'm coming, I'm leaving a private premises. I said, my staff do not work between Christmas and New Year. My staff do not work on public holidays and we definitely do not work on Sundays. I said, you've got a hard time trying to get them to work Saturdays at the moment. I said, and at the end of the day, the quality that you've seen online or our work on our following and so on and so forth, it's too hard to be able to maintain that standard in people who don't want to be there on a weekend. I said, so at the very least, you can pitch to Woolworths that they have my word. If my business is suffering, I will be there every minute possible to make sure it survives. In saying that, they have to trust that I know what I'm doing. I've been in business for eight years and we can work, well, I've currently working five days a week. Now we have to go to six days a week. We're dropping a late night, but I made them stipulate in the contract, the five public holidays that we will not open on. We finish at 2 p.m. on Christmas Eve and we come back on the 2nd of January and there's no questions about it. And um, we went into a ballot. There were seven other hairdressers trying to get the spot and he rang me and just had this chuckle on his face. He said, you are the only hairdresser who asked for all of these wildest terms and they are the only one. They only wanted you. So... You know, I, I think it was it was a good moment for us to put our foot down and say, well, if you if we're coming, this is how we're going to run our business, and you have to trust that that's going to work. So, really thrilled to be able to do that. But yeah, we do have to open a sixth day now, which is Monday through to to Saturday, and now we only work one lay night in the new center. So, right, okay. So with I mean, because eight chairs isn't a lot, but you had the opportunity to have revolving shifts and to have because as you're alluding to the business model of today and getting people to work Saturdays and Sundays and late nights etc is more challenging than ever but um you know you don't pay any more rent to be open more hours so should the opportunity present itself and you're bursting at the seams you you have some flexibility there to expand your opening hours and even opening days should you wish to going forward so that's interesting Okay. Um, Relocating and starting with a, with a blank sheet of paper, because I've seen your existing business, uh, not in in real life. I've seen pictures of it, et cetera. uh, And I've seen your, your new business and understand, you know, that it's a, it's a a different um, proposition, so to speak. Did you, did you consider sort of completely reinventing your business model because you've alluded to a couple of times about the challenges today with the employee-employer model and more people wanting to be freelance, et cetera. Was that something that you thought, okay, here's a chance to completely reinvent what Diorio Salon is all about and to come at it from a different way? Because sometimes it's, it's easier to make big changes in a new location than to try and evolve and change your existing location. So, so tell me yeah. what, what sort of thought process has gone on there? Yeah. So I think, I think the first thing that should definitely be 
stated is that you can't get addicted to the idea of changing everything because a lot of it is already working. And yes, you get a new location and you're like a kid in a theme park. You think, yes, oh, we're going to, we're going to revolutionize everything. Right. And I feel like no idea is a good idea when it's in your head. And what I mean by that is when I talk to myself, I am the legend. There is no one else talking to myself. It's my voice. Everything I say is perfect, right? But then I have a, an exercise where I get that thought on paper and then I try to say it out loud. And it, that's even if it gets to paper because sometimes you try to write it and you think, hang on a sec, I'm not making sense here. Let's, let's take some time to think about it. So, yes, relocating was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. And um, I started by watching a mini series on Apple TV uh, about WeWork. And I didn't know why I was watching it at first. And then by the time I got to the end of it, I thought, this guy is me. He's just got a million and one ideas and he never just sticks to one and makes it work and never solidifies what he's trying to do. So we have to reinvent what we do because where we are currently we do not welcome walk-ins. In fact, we don't get walk-ins. We're a boutique-style salon. We're affordable luxury. We do beautiful hair, but we're hairdressers. We're not just balayage artists. We're not just cutting experts. We are hairdressers. We do all hair except perms. Very clear about that. But we have to now go into a location where we need to welcome walk-ins because we're going to be in a foot traffic location. So we don't really want to change our experience but we do need to change our model and our systems and our processes to welcome that. Furthermore to that, you know, I built my business on the back of reading a million and one business books and watching a million and one things and listening to all these podcasts. And sometimes even I look at my shit and I just think, why have I got so much text on a piece of paper? Who the hell is going to read that? So it's a good opportunity for all of us to review all of our systems and our processes and update our client manuals. Furthermore to that, we're going to modernize everything. We're going to start to bring in tablets. We don't have a reception counter in our new salon. We're going to be reinventing the way that we do our onboarding process and our education with our staff, a lot more video content and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think the short answer is you don't need to reinvent everything to move because we are already in business and we are already successful and we are very much aware of that. However, a new salon needs a new team. And I don't, need, I don't mean by new staff. I'm not looking to fire everyone and get everybody on board. I'm looking to take the people who want to feel like they're starting again and who want to be a part of something new. And the asset that we have is that we believe in ourselves. I believe in my team. And most importantly, I believe that the changes we are going to make are going to be rewarding and successful for the new location not to the point that it hinders our ability to survive, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, all yeah. the team coming with you? I mean, again, 10 yeah, miles, I mean, uh, you know, 18K, whatever you said it was, it's a significant distance. Uh, are they yeah. all committed to making that journey? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I hold regular team meetings and appraisals and so on and so forth. So since the announcement of the new salon, I have had one resignation uh, and have since been able to replace that resignation with two new um, apprentices. So as the team currently stands, as far as I know, before the next set of appraisals, which is due to take place uh, end of February, yeah, everybody's on board and everybody's in tune and we're, we're communicating it well to our customers. The two new girls that I brought on were very clear. We have a six-month training plan to get you where we need you to be. 
And then once you get over there, you'll be guys, you guys will be ready made to welcome the walk-ins and, and get those bums on your chair and, and, and start your future or your career, I should say, at Diorio once it's open. So yeah, at this stage, everybody is following. Okay. A uh, couple of things have come up in, in my head as you've been talking. Uh, one of them, you just said that, that you're not going to have a, I forget the word you used, you didn't say reception desk, but you meant a reception, a reception desk. counter. Reception yeah. counter. Uh, so what yeah. are you having? Are you having a, a deskless, like a concierge raving, rece- roving receptionist or something? How's that going to work? Yeah, essentially, I mean, we have a product shelf in the front of the salon and there'll just be a little area where a monitor can sit um, when clients welcome, we actually have a color island in the middle of the salon. So where we mix, we'll also segue off into a nice long bench space for people to sit and wait. But the approach will be, I mean, it's always a space waster and I feel like it's where people crowd. So we wanted to reduce that. But I think we also, like we also change our point of sale software to someone who was more forward thinking and has the ability to use a better cloud service on an iPad. So we thought, I think the experience would be much nicer. You know, it's always in that training, right? The, the service is finished the moment you take the cape off, but then we still need to go up and take their money off. Why can't we finish the service? You know, sure, the cape might come off, but we can do that at the chair. We can process that. We can organize their next appointment. We can say goodbye. We can pack their product. They can leave their chair and walk straight out the door without having to feel like they need to lounge yeah. around the front, front desk. Yeah. Will, will there still be a person who has that role? Or will the individual stylists do that themselves? Yeah, we would like to keep it. So at the moment, we really try to keep it personally. We still don't have a front of house or a reception in our salon. It is a huge goal of ours. But as you know, to, to get an income to a point where you can you can pay that out and have someone have a role and a responsibility without generating hands-on income hasn't been a goal that we've been able to reach. But it is a vision. More than likely, it would start with me as my journey begins to sort of get back from cutting hair and start to be managing a business. And I think once I'm running that role, I can then create a role description for it. I think every time I've tried to sit down to think, okay, what does this look like? I don't know what it looks like because I'm too busy doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that and then looking here and not really focusing on it. So the goal is that, yes, we would have a front of house or a concierge or a salon coordinator for, you know, for better words, but the role hasn't been created yet. And it is a future vision. And that vision might come to life when someone comes to work and says, boss, I'm having a baby. It might come to, to life yeah. when you know Laura's finished being at home and says, I want to come back, but I haven't colored hair for so long. What can I do? When that comes, yes, the person will be a floater and they would have several roles within the salon. And, you know, it'd be all about keeping that culture and that experience high and efficient for all of the team as well. Yeah. Are you using the opportunity when you relocate to a, to a very um, – you know, very much a brand new looking business. Are you using the opportunity to change the price point or are you essentially thinking it's going to just, you know, be essentially the same price point in the new salon? No, so going back a little bit, we took a really modest and conservative approach coming out of the back end of COVID and we made other alterations to our service menu rather than putting our prices up to match inflation um, so we actually haven't had a full price review for just over 12 months, which is never happens in my business. Uh, in saying that, we're actually about to launch a new version of a service menu starting uh, from February, which sees a price increase in styling and cutting. 
The colour services, though, we're going to begin using Salon Scale and start to introduce a unique tailored pricing service where we're only charging based on what's being used at a percentage on top of what we've purchased. So um, services themselves, no for colour, but we will be charging for product usage on top and then the cuts will go up their usual pieces of inflation. We have a tiered pricing system as well. So I think the main focus is I'm just trying to find the best way to word emerging, rising, you know, that, that late apprentice who has their own service menu without the customer shying away, which kills me, right? Because tomorrow they could be a senior, but today they didn't want an emerging talent to do their hair. And then tomorrow they've got a senior and all of a sudden they get that next price and that brand. So the focus was sort of being trying to make that more enticing because they are talented and they do deserve that opportunity. Having the senior as the tier and then myself and Laura sort of being in that specialist tier or salon director tier and and and, and breaking it up like that. Got it, okay. Um, last point I wanted to ask you about was uh, retail. Uh, so again, um, how important is the retail side of the business in this new salon space? Because I know, uh, that one of the reasons why you spent 50 grand doing a, a refit on your previous salon was because you wanted to get retail uh, up to 14% or whatever and that where it was located at that time, there was no, it just wasn't part of the client journey, so to yeah. speak. So so you yeah. consciously yeah. moved it up near the front door, et cetera. So I'm, I'm curious about, uh, how you see retail fitting in to this new business model? Because again, as we've been talking about changing technology, et cetera, et cetera, there's a lot of people talking now about retail being more of an online thing and uh, some people are developing their own e-commerce platform or or, or they're uh, maybe not as uh, motivated to have in-sell on retail as they were in the past. So how does that fit in with your model? Yeah, um, I always try to keep that as a focus in our salon. There have been multiple changes of late with the online world dominating, but we still do believe very heavily in our salon that it is part of your experience. It is part of your education. And when I do team training sessions with the team, you know, I always reference a physio or a dentist or whatever it is. You go in there and you learn a lesson and they give you a recommendation and you don't even hesitate. You think, sweet, I need that toothpaste, I'll take it. Give me two tubes, let's go. So we really try to still keep that at the forefront of our mind as part of the experience and the educational part of what we do. Furthermore to that, we are the only hairdresser in this place. So we currently only have two lines of products. We are looking for a third. And we currently don't distribute hot tools all that often, but we're definitely looking to bring in hot tools. And then also we're looking to bring in brushes and combs. And I think it's important to start with that intention. And if we feel that that's not working well for us, then we can always peg that back. But if we get in there and we lose that opportunity, especially with all those coming in for the first impression, and we don't appear to be the go-to or we have, or, or you can get salon, then we may miss out to capitalize. Because I think in a shopping center where there's only Woolworths and possibly a chemist, we, we are expected to have the top tier options. And we are expected to cover multiple price points as well because not everybody wants to spend $110 on a shampoo and a mask. Some people like to spend, you know, 50 odd 
and get a shampoo conditioner and so on and so forth. So yeah. definitely want to keep it at the front. Definitely a huge part of our salon experience and the education side of what we do and very much aware that we are going to be the go-to salon in this location. So we, we best be prepared for it and always be fully stocked, I suppose, yeah. Good, good. Okay. Uh, so last thing I just want to ask you about is that you mentioned that this is the first time you'd work with a uh, interior designer. And um, I'm curious about, uh, I'm not quite sure how to ask this question. Uh, sometimes I look at salons that have been beautifully designed. And then you put people in them. And they, and they don't work. And, and so you as a hairdresser um, been in business for 11 years, you have an intimate understanding of the client journey and how people move around a salon and what works and what doesn't work. However, when you get a interior designer, uh, an architect, whatever you want to call them to design a fit out, they don't have 11 years experience in a hairdressing salon dealing with clients and staff and the practicalities of everyday things that run a salon. And I've seen a lot of times where people get, um, what's the word, seduced into a design aesthetic that looks great on paper, but then six months in, certain things have had to change because it didn't work. So I suppose the question I'm asking you is with your designer, were there any, did you have any challenges along, you know, that way um, of, of implementing the practicalities that you want and at the same time making it look great because it definitely looks great on paper from what i've seen um yeah so i'll stop talking you, you you tell me what the answer to that is so i think it's important to mention first of all that the interior designer that we've approached this would be her i think she said to me maybe 14th hair salon that okay. she has designed. So okay. it was only by chance in saying that because I was at family dinner, I was having a general discussion. Everyone was asking, what am I up to with the shop? What are we looking for? And I just, I said to my sister-in-law, I need an interior designer. She said, oh, why don't you call so-and-so? I looked her up, turned out she'd done one of the salons that was on my inspo board. And I thought, great, let's, let's call her. I think it's been, it's been enjoyable to work with someone who has a vision of beauty Mm. and also understand space. And what I mean by that is, you know, even today I said to her, hey, we need to tweak something before it gets sent off to council because I don't like this and this needs to be improved. And there she said, well, I need to check this member measurement because from here to here we need to have at least this much space for comfort and casual and crossing over. And so I think mm. when you have someone who understands that element and you yeah. combine that with not one but two people who are trying to design a salon, you can create something beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful on paper. You know, I keep telling Laura, I think back to um, the movie, The Founder, the McDonald's movie. Yeah. And yep. my favorite scene is when they go to the tennis court and they draw it on the tennis court. Oh, and they yeah, all pretend yeah. Brilliant. Mm. Phenomenal, right? Mm. Mm. When we visualize that and we, we sort of try to embrace that mentality, if you come to our current salon and you see our new salon and the layout, it's very similar but it's very different. And the elements that we changed, for argument's sake, our color island in the middle, yes, my staff, they're gonna get a kick up the bum because all the messy tubes and all the bullshit, you can't, you can't get away with that now, it's in the way, it's in the center. 
but we took the color bar away from behind the basin area because I can't stand the chit chat behind the basin area. So we've made improvements to the way we are going to operate and there's going to be an adjustment because I've got staff who have always done it this way and now we've got to go here and figure it out this way. But we have every belief that the layout that we have is going to be fluid, it's going to be enjoyable, and it's going to be spacious. Our mirrors are 900 wide, so I'm almost certain that the distance between clients is, um, off the top of my head, it might be one and a half metres, 1.6 metres, so quite spacious, still having elements of luxury, but still set up to be a high-performing salon in what we hope to be a busy environment too. And yes, it's going to take an adjustment. It's going to take an adjustment for me because I've renamed some certain areas. And every time I come out and say the basin area, well, it's not the basin area anymore. It's called the shampoo lounge. And we need Mm -hmm. to remember that it's the shampoo lounge. And that comes from me too. So I think if I'm leading from the front with the adjustment and I try to keep my frustrations with the changes on a low, I think the adjustment will be smooth. And then time will tell. Fingers crossed, though, I built it so it would last seven years. So let's hope so it lasts seven years. Yeah, exactly. So no dispensary. It's now all open plan um, color island in the middle of the salon. So there'll be an open. Right. Good. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, listen, this is this has been really interesting. Uh, Our our commitment to each other is I'm going to talk to you at least two, if not three, possibly even four times this year uh, on the podcast because we want to see how this journey evolves. We want to see what works and what doesn't work and what you've had to change and what the frustrations are. And who knows in today's world with, uh, you know, the way things are with the economy and uh, different business models, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, as to how this will evolve. And I think that that's where the interest will be uh, with people. So today has been um, what, what we've been talking for, I don't know, about 45 minutes or so. Uh, maybe the future ones will be a little bit shorter as we sort of touch base with you and get a progress report. But uh, I'm intrigued. I'm sure you're intrigued <laughs> to, to, to see how this no, journey yeah. evolves uh, with yep. all its ups and downs. So, uh, uh, Daniel, any, any final words before we start to wrap up? Oh, you know what? Not really. If I've inspired anybody out there who's had these thoughts for a while or anybody out there who's considering business, I think the biggest lesson that I learned and excuse the French, but your landlord will always have you by the balls. Mm. It's very, very, very important. And, you know, if my mum does listen to this, which she probably will, she'll think back eight years ago when I signed my first lease, really take your time, find your location. And there's still no guarantee that my next location is the right location. But getting into business is not just a commitment. It is literally becomes your life and you are governed by what those dot points are on that contract. And it's not all about the dollar sign. It's not all about what your overhead is. It's about what the value it can bring. Because the reality is if you get yourself into a location and you're trying to run your business to the best of your ability and your surroundings aren't helping you, you're going to look to get out. And the moment we had an opportunity to get out and we signed the deal, the first thing I said to myself was, fuck, we have so much work to do. Everything from moving the internet supplier right down to rebuilding the systems, processes, and commuting those clients. And it takes a lot of courage, and I'm aware of that. I'm not saying it to boast myself, but I do find myself constantly reminding myself that we are good enough to do this, and we can handle the workload, and we can survive the next move. So my message is simple. If you're going to move, 
take your time to think about it. If you're going to get into business, take your time to find the right location because once you're there, it does it's you're there, full stop. So really, really factor in all of those elements before you make those decisions. Okay. Uh, where can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels or website so that they can, uh, you know, look at who you are and what you've been doing? Uh, yeah, so I... I'm on the, the salon Instagram most of the time. Uh, that's going to be Dior Ten underscore Salon, and do you wanna, I do. want to just do you want to spell that oh. out for us because you yeah, spell so, it in an unusual name in an unusual way. Yeah. So D for Daniel, double I O R one zero underscore Salon is my Instagram handle, uh, and that's about the only active place you can see me, really. I do have a personal one, but you've got a much better chance of reaching out uh, on my salon page for sure. Okay, fantastic. All right, well, look, I will put that link uh, in the show notes for today's podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Daniel Diorio and have enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. Uh, so to wrap up, Daniel, thank you so much for your uh, honesty today and openness and willingness to share. Uh, and I think that that as we you know revisit your journey uh, during the course of 2023, it'll be really interesting to see how it all evolves. And uh, I wish you uh, nothing but the absolute very best of luck with it. Uh, so to wrap up, Daniel Diorio, thank you very much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony. It's been amazing. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.